0: Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. If you're enjoying the podcast, please follow us using your favorite podcast software. Today's program is brought to you in part by the financial support of our listeners. You can support the show on a one-time basis using the Zelle app to box13 at greatdetectives.net and become one of Our ongoing Patreon supporters for as little as two dollars per month just by going to patreon.greatdetectives.net. Well, now it is time for this week's episode of Dangerous Assignment. The original air date, December 31st, 1952, and the title is Streetcar 17.
2: But when I walk into the commissioner's office, I don't realize that this assignment's going to show me that sometimes the only way to let a little light in on a deal is through a bullet hole. Morning, Commissioner. You sent
3: for me? Steve, you have a rendezvous in Trieste tomorrow night. At 8 o'clock, you're to be waiting on the southeast corner of the Piazza Damo. Waiting for what, Commissioner? A streetcar? Exactly. Huh? The number of the car is 17. When you board that street car, you'll be carrying an edition of the London Times in your left hand. You'll be contacted by a man named Sutok. What's this all about? A report on stolen U.S. atomic secrets, Steve. Describing how much is known about them behind the Iron Curtain. A report smuggled out by the underground. And Sutok has the report? No, but he can probably tell us where it is. What do you mean? The man carrying the report was murdered in Trieste last night. A short time later, Sutok called our embassy in Belgrade and said he was certain the courier had managed to hide the paper before he was killed.
2: Okay, so I checked with Sutak, but why on a streetcar? I
3: don't know, but those were the instructions he gave. Get over there, Steve, and talk with Sutak. It's vitally important we recover that report. Well, that's it. You've got your assignment. Good luck. (laughs)
1: The National Broadcasting Company is presenting Dangerous Assignment, starring Brian Donlevy in the role of Steve Mitchell, colorful two-fisted government agent. At all those places of the world where danger and intrigue walk hand in hand, there you will find Steve Mitchell on another Dangerous Assignment. A new year is almost upon us, and tonight across the nation, NBC will present an all-star parade of bands to welcome in young 1953 in all of our country's time zones. Yes, from New York City's Times Square to San Francisco's Golden Gate, you can ring out the old and ring in the new with such famous orchestras as Guy Lombardo, Freddie Martin, Charlie Spivak, Harry James, Stan Kenton, Duke Ellington, and Woody Herman. All playing for you tonight on the NBC Radio Network. So wherever you are across this great land, this NBC station will broadcast music and merriment to welcome in the new year at your home. So let the familiar three chimes be your invitation. To New Year's Eve
2: Entertainment. Sure, I've got my assignment. Get over to Trieste, check with a gent named Sutak, and hope he can help us recover a report that will tell us which of our atomic secrets aren't so secret. It's late Friday afternoon when my plane lands. I check in at a hotel, and at 8 sharp that night, I'm standing on the southeast corner of the Piazza D'Armo. That's exactly two minutes past eight. The streetcar number 17 pulls up. I hop aboard, grab a seat, settle down to wait. Car rolls on, block after block, and I start giving the passengers the once-over. There are an even dozen aboard, and I'm trying to pick out my man when a small, beady-eyed gent sitting next to me leans in.
4: Uh, pardon me. May I trouble you for a match?
2: Will a lighter do?
4: But of course. Thank you. I am
2: Zagreb. We will get off at the next corner will we? You object? I'd feel better about it if you took your hand out of your coat pocket. Sorry, no. Now get up. Walk
4: to the rear of the car. Slowly.
2: When the streetcar grinds to a stop at the corner, I step down, then whirl suddenly and grab. He ducks under and the gun barks. slug's whistle past my ear and I fall back against the car. By the time I've regained my balance, the little gent is sprinting across the street. I take after him. For a guy with short legs, he covers a lot of ground. And two blocks later, I've lost him. I head for the nearest telephone and put in a call to our embassy in Belgrade. How are you speaking? Steve Mitchell, Sam.
3: Steve, how are you? Where
2: are you? Trieste. Oh, sure. I had a hunch they'd send you. How'd you make out with Sutak? I didn't. He didn't contact you? No, but somebody else did. Some character named Zagreb bums me for a cigarette and then tries to blow my brains out. Are you okay? Yeah. Look, Sam, about that phone call Sutak made to the embassy... Yeah, one of the undersecretaries took it. And he had the call traced, if that's what you're interested in. I am. The call was made from a shop 603 Via Maggiore, there in Trieste. I'm on my way. (laughs) 603 Via Maggiore is a small tobacco shop at the end of a narrow crooked street near the waterfront. The shades are drawn and the shop is dark, but I pound on the door. Yes? What is it, Signor? I'm looking for Joseph Sutak. Who are you? What do you want with him? My name's Mitchell. Here are my credentials. Oh, yes. Yes, I see. I'm his friend, Guido. Are you the man he was to meet? That's right, only we missed connections. Do you know where he is, Guido? But of course, he's working? Hmm. Where? The streetcar, he runs it. He runs the... Oh, great. No wonder that's where we were to meet.
4: How is it that uh, you did not
2: meet? Eh? Somebody with a gun eased me off the streetcar before we could. A guy named Zagreb. Ever hear of him? No.
3: Where did this happen?
2: Eh? I don't remember the street, but it was near a large cathedral. Oh, yes, yes, I know. From there, it is at least an hour ride to the end of the line. Joseph always
4: has a coffee at the depot. If you hurry, you can probably catch me there.
2: I grab a cab and follow the car tracks to the end of the line on the outskirts of the city. I check with a gent behind the coffee counter, but he hasn't seen Joseph Sutak or streetcar number 17 all evening. As I leave the depot, I notice half a dozen would-be passengers stomping up and down on the platform and... A couple of them are muttering assorted dire threats about suing the company. I double back, and half an hour later, I arrive at the other end of the line, the car barn. Joseph Sutak? No, he's not here. Where is he? Where else? Two hours ago, he took his car out. Number
3: 17. He's somewhere along the line. Are you sure of that? (laughs) Unless he has decided to take his streetcar across the
2: Adriatic, That could be, Buster. (laughs) Eh? I've just come from the depot at the other end of town. He didn't show up. What? That's right. No sign of Sutak or the streetcar. Uh, what foolishness is this? He must be on the route somewhere. He isn't. Neither is his streetcar. You're positive he hasn't come back into the barn.
3: Positive? I've been sitting here for...
2: Uh, wait, this is some kind of a joke, huh? It's no joke, believe me. Why don't you check it? What? What? but, but, but... Uh, excuse me. grabs the telephone, and then his Adam's apple starts bobbing up and down like a yo-yo as he makes a few frantic calls. Finally, he hangs up, leans weakly against the desk for support. A second or two later, the door of the office bangs open, and the short, bald-headed man comes bouncing into the room. He looks a little pale, too. What
3: is this all about, you idiot? Are you drunk? I warned you about... It's Mr. Merslack! Fantastic nonsense about losing a streetcar. Idiot! Imbecil! Mr. And who are you? Dave Mitchell. Here are my credentials. Credentials. Uh, oh... An American agent, I see. I am the supervisor here. What is it you wish? I'm looking for Joseph Sutak. Seems he has disappeared. So this idiot dispatcher, Armando was telling me, impossible. But, but Mr. Murslag I've called the repair shop, the watchman, the depot, no one has seen. There must have been a breakdown, an accident. But
4: I've had no report.
3: Fool, oh, then what do you think has happened? But I don't... Do you want me to believe Sutak has vanished into thin air, his drinker, too? When I... Come, quiet. Come along, Mr. Mitchell. We will get to the bottom of this. What? I bother. don't... Bother.
2: Murslog and I head out in his auto. We follow the car tracks through town. We meet half a dozen streetcars along the route, but there's no sign of Sutak or number 17. Finally, we pull up at the end of the line. Merslag stares down the length of the deserted track. His mouth opens and shuts a few times, but nothing comes out. He looks like a man who's about to slit his throat. We turn around and head back toward town. It isn't until we roll into the warehouse district that he manages to say something. Fantastic. It is absolutely fantastic. Wait, I know. This is all a dream, a nightmare. Yes, that's what it is, a nightmare. Pinch yourself, Merzlog, and learn the horrible truth. You've just lost yourself a streetcar, and if you don't mind my saying so, it's a pretty sickening way to run a business. Twenty years I have been a supervisor. Never once have I ever lost a car. Never once have I ever... I thought you said there were no other branching tracks off the main line. That is right. What do you call that up ahead? Um, oh, yes, I forgot about them. Stop the car. This,
3: uh, this track is no longer used. You see, it belonged once to the railroad company. Where does it
2: lead to? It, uh, runs along the building here. Yes, you see? Yeah, come on. Mr. Mitchell, do you think it is possible we will find it here? Could be. Looks like the tracks run right into the warehouse.
3: Yes. I think you're right, of course.
2: Now, we can roll up this door and have a look. Ah! It's locked. Well, there must be another door.
3: Perhaps along the side of the warehouse or around the back.
2: Yeah. You take the side of the building and I'll go around the other way. I'll meet you around back. <laughs> Murslog disappears into the shadows, and I slip around the side of the warehouse. Halfway down the length of the building, I find a door. Uh, this one's locked, too. I try my shoulder to it. It doesn't budge. I move along, hugging the side of the building, and then I spot something up ahead. Someone moving in the shadows. I start to ease around a huge scrap pile, a stack of junked automobiles, broken down bathtub sinks and boilers, and then I hear something rattle close by. I look up just in time to see the top of the stack start to topple. I duck, but I don't
1: Steve Mitchell will continue his dangerous assignment in just a moment. Once again, we celebrate the coming of a new year. Millions of cars will crowd the streets and highways of the nation, and in every car there will lurk an unwelcome stranger, a grim menace who will turn pleasure into tragedy if he can. That menace is death or injury in a traffic accident. This menace has no conscience and recognizes no authority except complete control at the steering wheel. Control, of course, means obeying all traffic regulations, staying within lawful and common-sense speed limits, and refraining from drinking if you drive. Now, when you drive, keep in mind that traffic accidents have been piling up totals of more than 30,000 deaths and over a million injuries each year. And holidays always take an appalling toll of fatalities and injuries. So keep on the alert every instant, not only for yourself, but for the other fellow. Be extra careful, won't you? Drive as if your life depended on it. Because it does. Now back to Dangerous Assignment and Brian Donleby as Steve Mitchell.
0: Mr. Mitchell. What?
2: Oh, Mercelegge. What happened? I heard the clatter and came running. Somebody shoved a pile of junk down at me. Hey, how about getting this thing off my chest? Oh, of course. <clears throat> oh, brother. Now I've seen everything. Who? Huh? During my time, I've been hit by everything but the kitchen sink. So? So now I've been hit by the kitchen sink. Oh, yes, and a good-sized one. Fortunate it did not strike a direct blow. Come on. I still want to take a look in that warehouse. You see? A small window up there. Yeah, I can climb up these crates. Be careful. Careful, Mitchell. Now. Uh. Well? Great. The warehouse is empty. What? Yeah. We drew a blank. Mitchell,
3: this whole thing is utterly fantastic. You're telling me. Streetcar number 17 starts on its regular run today, just as it had been doing for weeks. Months, years. You ride on it, you are forced off at gunpoint. Then, poof, it disappears. We search the tracks from one end to the other. No streetcar. No streetcar, indeed. Then we find this abandoned spur line,
2: which leads into the warehouse. But again, no streetcar. Wait a minute. Maybe the streetcar was in this warehouse. But you just saw for yourself it was not. I know, but maybe whoever hit me on the head did it. To knock me out so he could move the streetcar out of here. But that is impossible. You forget I was in the vicinity on the other side of the warehouse. Surely I would have heard the streetcar being moved. Yeah, I'm sure you would, (laughs) Merzlach.
3: Oh, oh, Armando. I'm so glad you're back. Any sign of the streetcar, Armando? Uh, No, not at all. Oh, fine. You fool to waste your time. I have men out coming every foot of track, Mr. Moorsluck. Have all the other cars checked in? Yes, everyone, but number 17. Uh, See for yourself. Uh, Number one, in. Number two, in. All right, all right, all right, all right, enough. In all my years, the dispatcher, such a thing as... What have you got to complain about? (laughs) You are only the dispatcher. I am the supervisor. Such a thing could ruin my entire career. yes, yes. Yeah, which reminds me, Mr. Murslag, the board of directors is waiting in the office to see. The board of directors.
2: Ruin. Oh, the end. Yes, yeah,
1: don't talk to me, Armando,
2: the end. The broken man. Look, Armando, is there any chance that that car number 17 could have gotten back here without being checked in? Impossible. Mr.
5: Nathan?
2: Huh? Remember me, Guido, at the tobacco shop? Oh, I... sure, Sutak's friend. Uh, did you find him? Eh? No, not only I did not find him, we can't even find his streetcar. What? You're joking. Some joke. But how could such a thing be? It couldn't, but it is. Look, Guido, you'd better get back to your tobacco shop. Sutak may try to contact you there, and if he does, let me know right away. Yes, uh, very well. Come on, Armando. I want to take a look around this car, Barnes.
4: Uh, very well, but it's a waste of time. You won't find number 17. Hey, see, the cars are lined up according to number.
2: Yeah, I gather that big gap over there is where 17 should be. Yes,
4: yes. This line is complete except for that. See there? The motorman man has just backed number 25 into place here at the end.
2: And the other lines of cars are...
4: What's the matter, Mr.
2: Mitchell? Oh, nothing, Armando. I guess you're right. This is a waste of time. You might as well go back into the office. Stopped me in my tracks is a little hole in the side of our car, 25, and it looks very much like a bullet hole. I remember Zagreb throwing a shot at me after he eased off the streetcar, and the shot had plunked into the side of the car. I wait until Armando leaves and I ease casually around to the front. Number 25 is painted right on the wood like all the other cars, but when I look closer, I see a few small nail holes. A plaque with another number could have been put over it. Number 17, for instance. Part of the deal starts adding up now, but I still need a lot of answers. One thing is sure. If a switch was made, the motorman of this car is involved. I keep an eye on him. He signs in, then goes out the back of the car bar, and I tail him. He heads into the big junkyard where they keep the broken-down cars and other equipment. He goes in a small shack in one corner. I ease up and peek through a crack. He's bending over a guy who's tied up on the floor, a guy who figures to be Sutok. I... I toward the door, but stumble over a piece of scrap metal. The motorman comes charging out the door, I'm ready for him. Oh. I go inside and pull the gag off Sutak's mouth. Mitchell? Yeah. Here, I'll get you untied, Sutak. What happened? They've kept me here since this morning, trying to make me tell them where the document is. <coughs> Come We'd better get out of here before any of his pals show up. Yeah. A lot of junk stacked all over. We ought to be able to keep undercover. Yes. Look, about the document, where is it? I am not sure. What? Wait a minute. You're the guy who telephoned our embassy in Belgrade, aren't you? Of course. You see, the
4: member of the underground who smuggled the document out is a friend of mine. He came to me for help. They were after him. He said they would do anything to get the document back. That it had to do with stolen atomic secrets. That's right. It's a list of information stolen from us. Go on. He wanted me to hide him. My car number 17 was in the repair shop at the time. I hid him there and telephoned your embassy. I see. Then what? When I came to get number 17 this morning, I found my friend in the alley, wounded. He mumbled something about the streetcar, and then he died. Before I could do anything, Zagreb and the other motorman ran up. They knocked me unconscious and brought me here. Come. Where to? Over there, in the other corner of the yard. It must be over there somewhere. Car number 17? Yes. They brought it back here and are searching it for the document, which they believe is hidden somewhere inside. But how did they pull the switch? I heard them discuss their plan. You see... Each car is checked out of the barn at the beginning of the shift and back in at the end of the shift. So? So, the first thing this morning, they moved car 17 back here. Car 25 departs before car 17, so this morning it went out as usual. When it returned in the middle of the shift, they put on a plaque with number
2: 17. Sure. It gets checked out now, 17. And after I get eased off it, they rip the plaque off, it gets checked back in under its right number, 25. So according to the records, 25 checked out and in, 17 checked out but did not check in. And all the time 17 was roosting back here in the junkyard, a pretty neat way to stall for time while they search it. Wait. Hmm? That car over there. Yeah. Flashlight moving around in it. Come on, we'll ease up to it. Yeah. The front end smashed in boards pride loose sure that figures they'd want to get that number off it and make it look like a junk car yes hold it the light went out inside shh
4: somebody is coming
2: get down now what drop the gun Zagreb no get back I said drop it (laughs) Uh, thanks I'll take it Mitchell you well well What's the piece of paper in your hand, Zagreb? I'll take that, too. Come on, hand it over.
4: Very well.
2: Thanks. Glad you finally found it in that streetcar. I came a long way to get this paper, Zagreb, and it looks like I got here just in time.
4: Not quite, Mitchell.
2: What? Drop the gun. Why? It is Guido. Yeah, your friend from the tobacco shop. Guido, what does this mean? You offered me a place to hide. Sure, so he could stay close to you, hoping you'd lead him to the document. It did not work out quite that way, of course, but... uh there is of no matter now. Hand over the document to Mitchell. I know as soon as I do, Supak and I are cooked Then I spot something on the ground with the other junk. It's a length of pipe about ten feet long. I hold out the document as if to hand it over then I drop it to the ground. Mitchell.
4: He did that deliberately.
2: Sorry, I'll pick it up. Oh, no. Oh, I won't fall for that
4: trick, Mitchell. You bend over, pick it up, and then grab your gun on the ground, huh? Step back.
2: I would pick it up. He says just what I want him to say. I take a step back. Guido bends over to pick up the document. Suddenly, I kick at one end of the pipe. The other end swings around and clips him on the ankle. It throws him off balance. His shot goes wild. Before he can try again, I nail him. He crumples up and his gun flies out of his hands. Zagreb dives for it. I flatten him.
4: Oh, I... Well, well, most effective, Mitchell.
2: Maybe I should have saved one of them for you, Sutak, after the beating they gave you. Uh, I'm quite happy this way, believe me.
4: That was very quick thinking on your part.
2: Well, it's lucky I spotted that length of pipe. After that, it was a breeze. Or, I guess I should say, a lead pipe cinch. <laughs>
1: Our star, Brian Donlevy, will return in just a moment. Tomorrow, New Year's Day, this station of the NBC Radio Network will broadcast two classic football bowl games. From Dallas, Texas, home of the famed Cotton Bowl, NBC will broadcast the game between the University of Texas Longhorns and the University of Tennessee Volunteers. Mike side for NBC at Dallas will be Lindsey Nelson and Bob Murphy to bring you every exciting play as Texas Southwest Conference champions and Tennessee, one of the fine teams of the Southeast, clash in this traditional New Year's Day bowl game. Then, following the Cotton Bowl game, NBC will switch controls to Pasadena, California for the granddaddy of all bowl games, the Rose Bowl. Al Helfer and Braven Dyer will handle the Rose Bowl play-by-play broadcast between the Trojans of Southern California and the Badgers of Wisconsin. So here's our invitation to you to be set-side tomorrow when NBC broadcasts both the Cotton Bowl and the Rose Bowl football games. Remember, NBC brings you the top sporting events the year-round.
2: Next week, South Pacific, I add a new tune, Some Enchanted Clay Pigeon, Me.
1: And that will be Steve Mitchell's Dangerous Assignment next week. Included in tonight's cast were Paul Freeze, Dan Riss, Tony Barrett, Paul Duboff, and Herb Ellis. This is John Storm speaking. Dangerous Assignment, starring Brian Donlevy as Steve Mitchell, with Herb Ellis as the commissioner, is written by Bob Reif and Adrian John Doe, and is directed by Bill Carn. Be with us again next week at this time, when Brian Donlevy, starring in the role of Steve Mitchell, will embark on another transcribed Dangerous Assignment. Tomorrow, hear both Truth or Consequences and Father Knows Best on NBC.
0: Welcome back! A good mystery that really did a solid job holding my attention. I think that this 25-minute format causes the stories to move really fast, and I love the whole missing train mystery. Personally, I think that Steve ought to be given some award for finally being hit with the kitchen sink, but I don't think the commissioner goes in for that touchy-feely recognition stuff. Speaking of which, the announcer misspoke when he stated that Herb Ellis played the commissioner. Uh, While Herb Ellis was in the story, I went back to the start and confirmed that the commissioner was indeed played by Herb Butterfield. With the announcer, it was a case like with the cook who meant to grab cayenne, but instead put bay into the recipe. He reached for the wrong Herb. Already in 2024, I'm working on my dad joke quota. What can I tell you? Well, listener comments and feedback now. Regarding the episode Italian Actress over on YouTube, Betsy said that that episode was a good one. And then we have some feedback from our listener survey and. We start with this comment from Turk, who writes, I listen to a lot of podcasts, streaming t- stations, web pages, whatever you call them. I'll, I'm always finding myself landing on this host. I'm over 70, and I have trouble sleeping, so I hear a lot of them, like I already said. The host is very knowledgeable, with a lot to give once you get over his accent. Keep on pumping out sounds. Thanks. Well, thank you so much, Turk in San Diego. And then Phil writes, I found this podcast when I went searching for more Johnny Dollar episodes after hearing one on a different old time radio podcast yesterday today. Now, Johnny and Adam are a regular part of my morning routine, especially when I'm walking my dogs at a local park. I appreciate the commentary and enthusiasm for the comment. And that's from Phil in Akron, Ohio. And then from Mendez in Willow Grove, Pennsylvania, Mendez writes, I found these following strokes and cannot read well. Aphasia TV is hard to focus on, so audio is good. Well, thank you so much, uh, Mendez. I appreciate the comment, and I'm glad that uh, we've been able to be of help. I would not even have thought about this as something that could help with aphasia, but I'm so glad that uh, it's working for you. All right, well now it's time to thank our Patreon supporter of the day. Thank you to Rhonda, Patreon supporter since October of 2020, currently supporting the podcast at the shameless level of $4 or more per month. Thank you so much for your support, Rhonda. And that will do it for today. If you are enjoying the podcast, please follow us using your favorite podcast software. If you're enjoying on YouTube, be sure to like the video, subscribe to the channel, and mark the notification bell. All those great things that help YouTube channels to grow. We'll be back next Wednesday with another episode of Dangerous Assignment, but join us back here tomorrow for Mr. Chameleon, where... Let
4: go of me!
3: I didn't do anything! And come along quietly. What's that? It's Gertrude, mother.
0: And Detective Sergeant
3: Arnold. Dave, what's up?
1: I caught her trying to sneak out of the house, Mr. Chameleon. She says her name is Gertrude Matthews and that she works here as a maid for the Allens.
3: Did work for them, you mean? You don't think I'd go on working for a murderess? Gertrude, be quiet. No, I won't. You're a nice woman, Mrs. Hayward, and you love your daughter just like I did mine. But Mrs. Allen is a murderess. Well, then, uh, she must have had a reason for murdering her husband. What was that reason, in your opinion, Gertrude? He wouldn't give her a divorce. She wanted to marry Philip Wilkes, and Mr. Allen wouldn't let her go. How did you know that? Well, I... How would you know it, Gertrude? I heard him quarreling last night, Mr. Chameleon. It was a terrible fight. He said he'd never set her free. He said she'd have to go on living under the same roof with him and put up with his ways for the rest of her life.
0: I hope you'll be with us then. In the meantime, do send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives. And check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.